0: Hello, welcome back to Making Better Bites podcast. This is your host, Adrienne. Today, we are going to be talking about gut health and what the heck that even means. I've seen a lot of people on social media, especially probably TikTok, trying to preach about remedies to heal your gut. Um, I think they are mostly referring to the trend of discussing bloating and how everyone has quote unquote stomach issues. What I find to be interesting, though, is so many young females aren't eating proper meals or getting a variety of nutrients and oftentimes are consuming a lot of supplements and a variety of beverages and don't seem to consider that all of those things could be contributing to the fact that they aren't feeling well. So I decided I wanted to dive into what our gut microbiome actually is, referring to and why it is so important and so much more than just a catchy word or a trend. I am looking for today to be a solid base for me to be able to bounce off and go deeper in future episodes on the microbiome and how it relates to female health because there is literally endless amounts of information coming out and so much that you could possibly know about the gut. As always, I am food first focused, so I won't be suggesting or promoting any supplements or concoctions for healing your gut, but I will be teaching you foods that you can eat in order to support a healthy microbiome and a lot of diversity in your gut. Before I get into it, I want to remind you that I'm not here to diagnose or prescribe any specifics for anyone. Please discuss any concerns that you're having with your, about your body and how you're feeling with your trusted health professionals that know your medical history and information. First things first, let's define the gut microbiome and talk about what it is. So gut health research is in its infancy and there is so much to learn, like I said, going forward as there is access to more and more information. Up until new tools emerged in the early 2010s there wasn't as much consistent information to know about the microbiome and what is going on in there now It is seen that the dominant bacteria in the intestines don't always match exactly what is found in the stool It could be different to quote the gut microbiota in health and disease research article the human microbiome is composed of bacteria archaea viruses and eukaryotic microbes that reside in and on our bodies these microbes have tremendous potential to impact our pathophysiology, both in health and disease. They contribute metabolic functions, protect against, fat, protect against pathogens, educate the immune system, and through these basic functions, affect directly or indirectly most of our physiologic functions. So the entire body has these microbiota biota present. Like I said, they are in us, and on us, but the area that is most concentrated is going to be the digestive tract, namely in the intestines. There is currently known to be a thousand plus species of microbes. Studies suggest that there could be more than 10 million non-redundant genes, meaning that they don't repeat, in the human microbiome. The microbiome in your gut um, seems to first start developing, um, or it's been found to first start developing when you are born. So it's very immature until about three years old, but the first things that will affect it are whether or how you are delivered. Whether you come into the world via c-section or vaginally will determine whether you first pick up microbes from the skin or the vaginal wall of the parent that birthed you. Furthermore, the next determinant is going to be formula feeding versus breastfeeding because again, different dominant bacteria are found um, depending on what babies are eating. By the time people um, reach 3 years old, their gut is about 60-70% to of what an adult will be. Um, I also read that while your gut microbiome can change based on many factors over time given like your age, Or like what you're eating, obviously, environmental factors, disease states, antibiotics, all sorts of things. It remains relatively stable from your, quote, third to seventh decade of life. So that's how they described it. And I took this to mean um, from your 20s to your 60s, everything is pretty stable, even though there are changes that you can make. Your baseline is kind of already there and doesn't really change too much. From a study on the influence of diet on the, micro, on the gut microbiome, studies examining the composition and role of intestinal microbiome in different disease states have uncovered associations with inflammatory bowel disease, inflammatory skin diseases such as psoriasis and atopic dermatitis, autoimmune arthritis, type 2 diabetes, obesity, and atherosclerosis. In the cases of IBD and obesity specifically, it is seen that they have less overall biodiversity compared to a healthy individual's microbiome. I also noticed that many studies referenced your gut's ability to develop butyrate and amounts of butyrate in your gut based on the type of bacteria that are dominant. It seems that the more development you are able to do and create, the healthier and more diverse your gut and overall system is. If you haven't heard of butyrate or you don't remember what it is, um, it's a major short chain fatty acid that is produced during fermentation of dietary fiber. And this is done by your gut bacteria. So it provides energy for the cellular lining of the gut. It supports the colon's immune system functions And helps to protect from some intestinal diseases here's the good thing that I know is that you can make changes to your microbiome through dietary shifts and those shifts can actually start happening pretty quickly which is not always common in the world of health and wellness and things that you can do for your body So the studies I was reading varied that um, it could be somewhere between 24 hours to four days to see the changes um, in the gut microbiome and what kind of bacteria they're looking at. But if it's not done for a long-term consistent amount of time, the changes can diminish just as quickly. So I want you to know that like if you have a few days where you're not eating as well, even though that could alter the microbiome, you still go back to your baseline when your eating returns to normal. But on the plus side, once you start changing your diet to be better and to be improved and more nutritious, you also are going to have like pretty instant changes in your gut as well. Um, like I said, I think it should be exciting to know that there's something you can do for your health that you know will biologically be making a difference very rapidly since that's not typically common. Um, I gathered information from many sources that had overlap, but a lot of information I'm going to share now is coming from one specific research review that I'm going to actually link in the description of this episode because I particularly enjoyed reading it. I felt like it was written in a tone more similarly to how I write personally, and maybe I'm completely wrong about that because I'm not a great writer, but um, it was easier to digest, easier to read than many other articles that can be extremely confusing and extremely boring and extremely sciencey. So I really liked as well how it broke down um, the foods that you can consume um, and the changes that they make based on macronutrient. So I'm going to be doing the same and that is going to be starting with proteins. So what is interesting about protein that I found across multiple articles is that they majorly compare the traditional Western diet, the Mediterranean diet, and then a vegan or vegetarian diet. And a traditional Western diet is, of course, going to be rich in animal-based proteins that also are going to contain more fat. But it will also have much more diverse array of bacteria than the vegan-vegetarian diet will. And the bacteria in the Western diet will include um, more bile-resistant strains, which also aren't going to exist in the vegan or vegetarian diet. If you are someone who has ever stopped eating meat for a specific, for a significant period of time, and then you tried to eat meat again, this makes sense to point out one reason why you might have a more gastrointestinal upset in doing so is because your body did not have the same bacteria as when you were once eating meat before. So it might've made it more difficult to digest and cause a greater reaction, um, in your GI compared to like, maybe if you kept eating meat and then you adjusted. Um, but again, that's just, that could just be one of the reasons that there's more GI upset. Cause obviously more goes into digesting, um, animal proteins than just what's going on in your intestines in a more plant-based diet as well. um, It's seen that the amount of fiber and nutritional variety provides more anti-inflammatory properties and protection of the mucosal barrier maintenance because the increase in short chain fatty acids that we mentioned before, like the butyrate while a protein rich low carbohydrate diet might have greater, Um, weight loss effects it is also possible that it has more long-term consequences to your health this um, review specifically was talking about like a high total protein intake especially from animal protein is associated with a significantly increased risk of developing IBD or irritable bowel disease And red meat specifically showed an increase in compounds that increase the risk of cardiovascular disease or CVD. So as far as protein consumption goes, it's good to consume some animal-based proteins, but have a larger portion of your proteins um, becoming from plant-based proteins, and that's going to help better protect your gut. In the same discussion as animal proteins, high amounts of saturated fats are going to be associated with increased risk of cardiovascular disease as well, which is going to make sense because if you think about it, they often come from the same sources. Um, It's going to be like your animal proteins like beef and pork and like even chicken, obviously that have some saturated fats. Other than that, the type of fat didn't seem to affect the type of bacteria growth as much. There was some differences based on how much fat subjects were consuming, but I didn't feel anything was as conclusive in what I read um, to be able to share because much of the information was coming from observing mice. So I feel like either I need to find another resource on fat and perhaps read a few more articles specifically looking for fat's effect on your gut microbiome Um, or maybe the research just hasn't developed there yet um, because so much emphasis is placed on carbohydrates and our understanding because carbohydrates interact with the bacteria a lot more as do proteins. Um, But if you do want to hear more about fats specifically that are pro and anti-inflammatory I have other podcast episodes about that specifically um, that are already available so you can just search um, through my recent episodes and you'll see also episodes about anti-inflammatory fats so next up is carbohydrates which is split into digestible carbohydrates and indigestible carbohydrates because this is the gut after all. So, you know, whether we can digest them or not digest them, this is where that's going to be most important. The digestible aren't as important when trying to improve your diversity because they don't affect it as much. Um, That's because when your body breaks down carbohydrates, they are broken down into glucose ultimately um, from whatever form they start at. So, And this is so that they can enter the bloodstream and then obviously be used as energy, interact with insulin, be taken up by the red blood cells, so on and so forth. Um, It was noticed, however, that people that consumed a lot of carbohydrates in one study from eating dates specifically had an increase in one bacterium and a decrease in another. And similarly, when lactose, so the sugar that is found in dairy, is consumed, the same thing happens as when these digestible carbohydrates are consumed while also seeing a rise in, again, those short chain fatty acids that we really want, like butyrate, which are so great for our intestines. And this was a surprising finding because typically, um, obviously people believe that lactose can cause GI upset, um, So a lot more research is needed to investigate further, but I think a lot of that has to do with lactose intolerance. So as long as you have the enzyme lactase, which breaks down lactose, then there shouldn't be any um, of the GI upset associated, and therefore you should then be able to break down the lactose and have these health benefits occur. Next is going to be the non-digestible carbs, and those are going to be, of course, fiber in your diet, which is where you can really see some changes, much bigger changes to the gut microbiome, saving the best for last, of course, because they are not broken down by enzymes in the small intestine. Instead, they undergo the fermentation by your gut microbiome or the bacteria in your gut. Uh, Dietary fiber, is what is known as microbiota accessible carbohydrates and then like where it said that it abbreviated it capital m-a-c or max but again many of us just refer to them as prebiotics so these are going to come from foods that are rich of course in non-digestible or insoluble fiber which are going to be legumes whole grains many sources of whole grains like barley, wheat, rye, um, legumes, if you don't know, is like peas, beans, peanuts, those, those kind of groups, lentils, um, and then, of course, fruit, nuts, and seeds. This process of being used as fuel for the probiotics in fermentation is where the changes to the microbiome are really going to take place. So another quote from the same article says, Regarding their effects on specific bacterial genre, genera, many studies suggest that a diet rich in non-digestible carbohydrates most consistently increases intestinal bifidobacteria and lactic acid bacteria. So there's a table on this article, which I said I did link in the show notes because I found it to be really interesting and easier to read. Um, and it tells you like what different prebiotics are associated um, with which bacteria so if you would like more detailed information again definitely click on that link to read the article and it is on um, they have it labeled as table five so you could skip to that point if you didn't want to read the whole article and just see what's going on there So I feel like I kind of just droned on today. I hope that you guys don't feel that way. Um, I just kind of went straight through the information that I had that I wanted to cover because it can be really confusing and there's a lot of words like the obviously in the articles they like name off the specific bacterias and they're all really similarly spelled and whatnot. So I didn't feel like it was beneficial to read them off here. Um, and yeah, I don't know. Usually I have a lot more like ad libs and soapboxes to get on, but my brain is kind of tired from all of the reading of the research and trying to decide like where I wanted to start in sharing this and like how I wanted to begin and what kind of the base information was that you guys needed to know. Um, if you have any questions, please send them my way. The easiest is social media, but I can also put my email if you need that. Um Because I think this gave a pretty good base, but maybe there's some holes that I didn't realize. So basically, what did we learn today? Having dysbiosis or a lack of diversity in the gut microbiome is not a good thing. But thankfully, we can change it through dietary shifts. You might have noticed I didn't get into the probiotic discussion today and only briefly mentioned the prebiotics. But I hate for these episodes to ever get too long or be overbearing with information. And I plan to go fully on covering an episode on pre and probiotics next time, um, next week on the next episode. It's just going to be pre and probiotics and what that means, what they are, et cetera. There are several foods to discuss when it comes to finding probiotics without supplement use and some more information to share about prebiotics as well. So be sure to like, comment, and share this episode with friends and family if you enjoyed and learned something new today. And make sure you are subscribed and following me on Instagram for more information between episodes and you can be notified when episodes are released. And that is also comes with being subscribed to the podcast so until next time I hope that this helps you guys get into making better bites have a great week